0: Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Cure Epilepsy. Today, I'm happy to welcome Dr. Nicholas Barbel to the podcast. Dr. Barbel is an assistant professor in the pharmacology department at Emory University. He is also an epilepsy researcher and a 2019 Cure Epilepsy Grant recipient. He is here today to talk about the connection between acquired epilepsy and inflammation and how discoveries made through his research could lead to new treatments for preventing the onset of seizures. Dr. Varvel, thank you so much for joining us today to kick off the conversation uh, can you start by explaining the different ways that people might develop epilepsy, specifically the difference between acquired and genetic epilepsies?
1: So thank you for um, hosting me on your podcast today it's a It's a great pleasure to be able to share my research uh, with your viewing audience So epilepsy is a, is a disease that affects about one to two percent of the population and we largely group them in two categories. Uh, The first are what we call call the genetic epilepsies. So these are caused by mutations in one's genomic material that are either inherited or that perhaps can occur spontaneously um, in one individual. And we call these de novo mutations. The second class of epilepsies, and in fact, this is the class that we are interested in, are what are called the acquired epilepsies. And these are epilepsies that are caused by a physically traumatic event in one's life. Uh, so risk factors for the development of the acquired epilepsies include stroke or bleeding into the brain, brain infections or brain tumors, uh, seizures that are caused by a high fever that we call fib- febrile seizures, and other occurrences of prolonged seizure activity that we clinically define that call um, status epilepticus. So the immediate consequences of status epilepticus uh, include damage to the brain and activation of the body's immune system. And uh, long-term consequence of status epilepticus is the development of epilepsy, or what we call epileptogenesis, wherein the brain converts from normal to one of uh, epilepsy. And this is the process that we are interested in in stopping.
0: Amazing. I I want to get to epileptogenesis in just a minute, but I also understand that there is a bit of overlap in between the genetic and the acquired epilepsies. Can you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. So clinically, um, unprovoked seizures are one of the defining features of both genetic and acquired epilepsies. The areas of the brain affected are also similar between the two, And unfortunately, individuals that suffer from uh, either of the epilepsies um, experience behavioral comorbidities, uh, such as depression, anxiety, and cognitive decline, which may be even more debilitating than the actual seizures themselves. And these comorbidities can erode one's quality of life and negatively impact loved ones and caregivers.
0: So correct me if I'm I'm wrong here, there's an overlap certainly in the systems and the cause and effects, which you uh, pointed out, but there is also some belief that perhaps some people who have acquired epilepsies may have genetics that make them more predisposed. Am I getting that right?
1: Yes. There is a growing recognition that uh, genetics plays a prominent role, if not a major role, in the uh, development of uh, the acquired epilepsies. However, it should be it's more of your genet- you have a genetic predisposition uh, f- uh, for the risk of the developing the acquired epilepsies. And it's unlikely to be one gene. It's probably a collection of, of genes that elevate one's risk.
0: Got it. Uh, Now, I want to get back to epileptogenesis, which you brought up earlier, which is the the development of epilepsy in a brain. What is actually happening during epileptogenesis?
1: So this is a process that we need to learn a lot more about. Um, Clearly, cell death and a robust inflammatory response is involved. Um, But there are also changes to a very specialized structure Um, in the brain that is called the blood-brain barrier. And in healthy individuals, the blood-brain barrier acts as a a selective barrier uh, between the body and the brain. And by selective, I mean that it only allows certain molecules and perhaps even immune cells into the brain. But after seizures, the blood-brain barrier can become eroded and this selective um, permeability is eroded and then allows many more cells as well as you know, peripheral uh, molecules to enter into the brain.
0: And how long can that take before someone's you know, brain injury or whatever the instigating factor is, how long does that process take before they could potentially develop epilepsy?
1: So this is a very good question. And the answer is that it's quite variable. In fact, it can take a, anywhere from a few months to many, many years. The current data indicate that um, for every five people that experience the prolonged seizures of status epilepticus, about two of them will develop epilepsy over the next 10 years. So you can see that this is a very long and drawn out process by which person
0: can develop epilepsy after a traumatic brain injury. I mean, the 10 years is, is quite a long time to be able to correlate that back to that particular injury. Hi, this is Brandon from Cure Epilepsy. Since 1998, Cure Epilepsy has raised over $85 million to fund more than 270 epilepsy research projects in 17 countries. Learn what you can do to support epilepsy research by going to cureepilepsy.org. Now back to Seizing Life. Now, I, I understand that you were not initially working in epilepsy research. What brought you into this particular field?
1: So yeah, that's a great, great question. My initial um, uh, training, uh, scientific training was uh, in Alzheimer's disease. And Alzheimer's is a disease, it's a chronic disease um, that also involves a very robust inflammatory response. But this is drawn out over, again, many, many years, um, probably even longer than the epileptogenic process. So in my initial postdoc, um, I had the liberty to sort of you know, follow my intellectual um, you know, inquiries. And I began to look at more acute injury models, such as the seizure models. And I made the, what I thought was a very fascinating discovery that after seizures, there is a, uh, a very specialized immune cell called a monocyte that enters the brain. So I began to ask questions of, well, what is the consequence or what what could these monocytes be doing in the epileptogenic process? Are they providing a beneficial role or
0: perhaps are they providing a uh, negative or a bad role? I want to dive into monocytes here in just a minute, but what do we know about the connection between inflammation and epileptogenesis and the onset of seizures? So
1: we know that the, these events are, are linked in, in some way, but we don't exactly know how. Um, it is our idea, or at least in science, we call this our hypothesis, that the inflammation might be playing a causative role in the development of the acquired epilepsies, and perhaps even the uh, deep debilitating comorbidities uh, that are associated with the disease.
0: Okay, and how do you specifically target these inflammatory disinflammatory response, these these myocytes.
1: So my colleagues and I have been interested in selective targeting of uh, the inflammatory response after seizures for many years. And we are trying to uh, inhibit this inflammation by using small molecules or or drugs. Um, one of the approaches that we have taken is targeting uh, what is called prostaglandin signaling. So prostaglandins are inflammatory molecules uh, that uh, are involved in the uh, activation of specific pathways after injury, um, as well, and specifically after the seizures. My Cure Grant has focused on the selective targeting of uh, the inflammatory cells called monocytes, which are normally in the blood, but then enter the brain after seizures.
0: And monocytes are... they're bad, they are not supposed to be in the brain, what is their purpose?
1: So typically, in the the normal brain, you don't see many, many monocytes at all. Um, In fact, it's largely devoid of the cells. Um, But after seizures, uh, my work has demonstrated that uh, a number of great, a very large number of monocytes enter the brain, specifically the hippocampus, um, after the prolonged seizures of status epilepticus. But these monocytes don't seem to be going in right away. In fact, there seems to be this delayed response. In fact, that they're coming in about 24 hours after. So this opens up uh, an opportunity to target the cells with small molecules.
0: So we don't want the monocytes there. Do you know what the monocytes are doing in the brain?
1: We don't exactly know what they're doing, but we do know that if we keep them out, at least in the short term, we have less neuronal damage, there's less inflammation, and there is a less erosion to the blood-brain barrier. And we're currently asking questions if we keep them out, do the animals develop epilepsy? And then do they also, um, does it also relieve the cognitive comorbidities that are associated with epilepsy?
0: Oh, that's fascinating. So, if you can get in there right after the seizure before the monocytes flood the brain, then potentially you can prevent the patient from developing epilepsy from those who uh, have the potential to develop an acquired epilepsy. But you also have the opportunity for those who maybe have a genetic epilepsy from having them develop these comorbidities. So, this could really, this research could really. Um, have a huge impact in, in the entire epilepsy patient population. That's correct. this is this is this is indeed our hope. Um, and of course, I love that you mentioned your cure grant that you received. This science is just so such a perfect example of cures patient focused research mission. How has that epi- the cure epilepsy grant, Helped you in your research and with your career. So I re- was
1: fortunate enough to receive uh, my grant from Cure Epilepsy to investigate the role of monocytes at a very important time in my career. So as a young investigator starting starting up my lab, it's important to receive funding from organizations such as Cure that are willing to give a chance to young investigators with perhaps new and novel ideas. Um, and I'm happy to report that i used uh, some a lot of the data that i generated using the cure grant actually allowed me to receive a much larger grant from the NIH uh, to further uh, promote build my lab and uh, investigate the role of inflammation in epilepsy
0: So congratulations on the NIH grant. That is incredible news and so excited to hear that your research is going to continue moving forward. What are your goals uh, for your research in the future? So my
1: colleagues and I are also working very hard to develop drugs to selectively target the inflammatory response, both in prostaglandin signaling, as well as Uh, stopping monocyte entry into the brain. Uh, This is, of course, a very long, and tedious process to to get it right, Um, and it requires time and demonstration that our drugs are safe and effective in our rodent models of the disease uh, before we can safely test them in in humans. Um, But our hope is that uh, we will be able to move into human clinical trials, hopefully within the next five years. Um, I think it's also important to point out that you know a lot of the information that we are able to acquire in in our current work in, in epilepsy could also be applied to other disease, other brain diseases that involve uh, uh, an inflammatory response, um, uh, mainly specifically involving monocyte entry into the brain. So it's possible that you know the, this uh, it, it, the information that we glean can be be very comprehensive.
0: Well, we are very excited to see where your research heads, and I know Cure Epilepsy is just so honored to have helped fund you on this journey. Um, I know we'll be um, waiting with bated breath to see how those clinical trials go and hopefully have a new drug on the market. Dr. Varvel, thank you so, so much for joining us today. The research that you're doing is so important to this community, and we are so fortunate to have you as an epilepsy researcher. Thank you so, so very much.
1: And thank you for having me today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And again, thank, thanks to CURE Epilepsy. And importantly, thank you to the donors for, for CURE Epilepsy that um, uh, allowed me to perform my research.
0: Thank you, Dr. Barbel, for helping us understand acquired epilepsy and the role that inflammation plays in the development of seizures. And thank you for the work that you and your colleagues are doing to help find new treatments to prevent the onset of epilepsy. For more than 20 years, CURE Epilepsy has understood the importance of basic research like Dr. Varvel's in paving the way for new epilepsy therapies. We hope you will help us in our continued support of young researchers with innovative ideas who are working to find a cure for epilepsy please visit cureepilepsy.org forward slash donate. Through research, there is hope. Thank you.
1: The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Cure Epilepsy. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. CURE Epilepsy strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical conditions be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.